0: Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University. This is what would your mother say? Where moms and Stanford students take a candid look at student life. Our topic today, finding a job. A look at how you get a job without experience and how to get experience without a job. I'm Susan Morris, and with me in the studio today is Mary, our mother this week. Hello. And on the other side of the table are five Stanford students. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Becca, I'm Margot.
1: I'm Nick. And I'm Lauren.
0: Graduation is just around the corner for four of you, right? And the transition from college to career is a big one. And given the economy right now, I'm going to predict that it's going to be a difficult one. I'm going to ask, start by asking Emily, do you know what you're going to be doing after graduation? I have no idea. Now what are you majoring in? Symbolic systems.
2: What is symbolic systems? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking for engineering positions, for computer science positions. Okay. And Margo? I'm majoring in Slavic
3: literature and languages, and uh, I'm hoping to go into women's health, so
0: looking for
3: positions there.
0: Wow. Does that have anything to do with Slavic languages? That's going to be...
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm looking for positions relating to women's
0: health in Eastern Europe and Russia. So. Okay. Well, Nick, now you're also in the techie end of this, right?
4: Yeah. um, I'm an earth systems major, which means I do environmental science, but I'm actually trying to do a career change even before I have a career. What does that mean? I'm, uh, I'm trying to do a master's in engineering. So oh I at the same time right
0: oh okay yeah. okay well this is this doesn't seem like a fair question to ask you all since you're just still seniors but what are your expect expectations for life lauren
1: <laughs> Tell- expectations i mean coming out of college I, I have this and maybe it's naive but i have this expectation to be com- like completely stimulated you know i want to i want to step into one of those jobs that people have in the movies and i know you know oh. on a certain level that that's not going to happen you know it's not going to be that you know you have witty repartee with all your coworkers and then everyone goes <laughs> out and has this like idyllic beer after work or whatever. Um, but, uh, th- on, a, on a certain level, though, I feel like that's what a lot of us expect.
0: I think so. Raise your hand if that's sort of your expectation. Mm. Yes, I see. I, I think that Dil- radio, Dilbert, right? Dilbert
1: cartoons are
5: more more to the point. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you understand, know that cartoon. When you can't
0: it. stand your office mate. I've got to be
1: honest, Mary, I always skip that one. <laughs> yeah, you're going uh, to depressing. <laughs> you're gonna learn to love it. It's not that
0: funny. You're going to learn to love it.
1: It's like a family circus for old people. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Well, here to discuss... Not that
1: old. am <laughs> just joking.
0: Here to discuss how students can prepare for the real world is Leslie Pollack. She's here on the phone with us. A writer and editor, Lindsay specializes in career advice for young professionals. She's the author of... Of getting from college to career, 90 things to do before you join the real world. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Susan. Well, what did you think about what the students have just said?
6: You know, I think that there's a lot of energy, which I can hear, which is positive. I think everybody realizes that we're in a tough economy and it's not always easy to get your first job. But I I do want to address Lauren's point really briefly. I think even if you have a first job that's not so great, going out for an idyllic beer is something you can always plan on, and that's totally in your control. So nothing will get in the way of that, that fantasy.
1: Good to hear. (laughs) Well, your
0: book was published, Getting from College to Career, was published in 2007. Lindsay, the economy has taken a huge dive since then. What new advice would you give students and others who are looking for a job?
6: You know... The reality is that job hunting hasn't changed at all. You still have to be persistent. You still have to have a good resume. You still need to be uh, aggressive and creative in where you look for jobs. But with the bad economy, what you have to do is be smarter than you would have been before. You have to be more strategic about looking more deeply for where the jobs are. And you have to be faster and better than you might have been. If you hear of a lead, you have to follow up immediately. You have to triple check that email and make sure everything is correct. So the rules are still the same. You just have to be more strategic, cast a wider net, and move more quickly than you might have in the past. But there are no, you know, I always say I wish I had a secret bullet that I could pull out right now and say this is the recession strategy. You just have to do everything a little bit better.
4: So I have a question. Is it better to have a higher degree? Like if you have a master's degree, are you going to get hired over someone with a bachelor's?
6: You know, experience counts just as much as education. So if I were comparing somebody with a bachelor's degree and three years of great experience or somebody with a bachelor's and a master's but no experience, that experience might be more important. And my advice on grad school is only go if you're really sure that's what you want to do when you get out because that degree is only going to help you um, if you're sure. And secondly, even if you go to grad school, I think it's incredibly important to do internships or work on the side so that you're not... just bringing an academic resume you also have real-world training
0: before you sign up for graduate school wouldn't you recommend that the students find out if there's a job in that field before investing that money
6: Absolutely. I'm really concerned about students taking on too much debt before they've worked at all. So a lot of people want to, you know, ride out the recession in grad school, and I think that only makes sense if you're really sure of that direction. If you definitely want to be a doctor or if you're sure you want to practice law, if you're not completely sure of that direction – don't make that decision yet. And one really good way to find out is to look to people from Stanford or friends that you know from other places who have followed that path and find out the reality of what it's like to get a job with that sort of degree. And if you don't know anybody like that, talk to your career services office and they can probably direct you to someone to speak to.
0: You know, Lindsay, a a few years ago, um, young women were going to law school with assuming that they were going to make huge salaries. And within... It seems a very short period of time within the last year, though. That profession has taken a big dive. <laughs> I mean, so all your expectations are down the tube.
6: Yeah, there are no guarantees, and there are no guarantees in a good economy either. But right now I think what we're finding is especially for people who chose a career just for the money, for instance, law and obviously Wall Street comes to mind, if you're not really sure that's what you want to do and you get laid off, you're going to be in a really tough position because your experience is in something that you don't want to pursue, and you may have to go back to school or take a much lower uh, salary position in order to start out in another career. So really figuring out what you want, even in a bad economy, is very, very important.
3: Uh, So you said that we should look where the jobs are, but also figure out what we want to do. How do you feel about just following your passion? like? I love the idea of following
6: your passion, but Uh I want to suggest that you can follow your passion in your job search, Uh but you can also be realistic and look at other possibilities while still pursuing your passion through extracurriculars, through nonprofit involvement and volunteering, through being involved in professional associations, through blogging about it, through networking with people in that field. So, for instance worst case scenario, you really want to be an advertising executive and the only job you can get after months of of finding is working at the Gap. I don't mind that so much if you're still networking in the advertising industry, you're still reading all the advertising blogs, you're still volunteering with your favorite nonprofit to work on their marketing campaign so even if your paying job isn't related to your passion you can still pursue that passion in other areas of your life and then when things get better, you'll have this great resume of volunteer work that will help you get into that field if you weren't able to do it now
0: you're listening to what would your mother say our guest is Lindsay Pollock, who is author of getting from college to career 90 things to do before you join the real world mary oh i i would like you to
5: address the the uh, subject of it you really don't doesn't really matter I, this is my opinion what you do first because you're not going to end up doing what you think you want to do anyway i didn't put that well but you know, by the time your life goes on a few decades, you won't be probably, do- students probably won't be doing what they started out doing anyway, right?
6: Absolutely. The career world has changed so much. My parents and grandparents essentially had one career their entire lives, and that just simply doesn't exist anymore. And it was funny when I interviewed people for the book, I would say, tell me about your first job. And they always laughed and said, oh, it's so funny where I started and where I am now. Yeah. So what I like to say to students is think about a two-year plan or even a one-year plan if that makes you more comfortable. You are not starting a path for the rest of your life. You're just taking the first step. And then from that step, you'll reassess and go to the next next one, but there are no guarantees. Even if you go to med school, even if you're a, a doctor or a lawyer, those can lead in many directions, and that's okay. So get rid of that stress that you're making a full-time commitment for the rest of your life.
5: I've been in a job for 15 years that I know I didn't know even existed when I graduated from college, let alone, it's so yeah, common. You
6: know. <laughs> yeah, that's why students have to really talk to as many people as possible, because often, you know, I always, I always tell people when I was five, I wanted to be a toll collector, because <laughs> I understood what that person did, you know. <laughs> so uh-huh. you've really got to expand your thinking and learn what else is out there. Because if you only apply for jobs that you've heard of, you're going to miss out on an enormous opportunity. Lindsay,
0: we have an email here from a student wondering whether the degree is going to be worth anything in the next two or three years.
6: Absolutely. I mean, particularly from Stanford University or other any other excellent school, a bachelor's degree is really the price of admission for a lot of careers. I'm I'm very frustrated by the articles that tell people to reconsider whether or not they should go to college. The education, the way you learn to think, the way you learn to communicate, the alumni networks are one of the best networks you're going to have in your life. And don't forget that you have career services. You have a lot of people on your campus through university who are invested in your success, and that's a real network and resource that you can relate to so beyond the wonderful experience of college and the education you get it's a network and a and a reference point for the rest of your life
1: speaking of networking um i was you know i've been in contact with some some former bosses of mine and one one offered to push my resume towards one of one of a like a friend of his that's doing some hiring and it seems like um a a little bit awkward you know he's pushing you know i i'm a friend of his obviously and he's pushing this to another friend but there's sort of this over overlying professionalism so how would I mean, how would you recommend kind of handling that? You know, you're networking on a certain level, but at the same time you don't want to, I guess, cross any ethical boundaries.
6: Yeah, it's interesting. I get that question so much, and it kind of um, surprises me because once you're in the professional world, you see that this happens all the time. It's really who you know is so incredibly important. And a lot of students say to me they're concerned that the exact situation that you described would be like using somebody or using your connections. And the reality is that friend of yours, that old boss, he can't get you hired what he can do is open a door for you and help you with an opportunity and i think if you are a good candidate if you are somebody who's going to do a good job in that interview who would be a potentially good hire for that company and you're going to be grateful and gracious to that person for helping you this is how business is done i would take full advantage and make this person proud for making the introduction i think that applying to only companies sort of blindly through a website or through a job fair, you're never going to get as far than if somebody who actually knows you and has experience with you can go in and make the case that you should be somebody who gets an interview. And again, I have to reiterate, nobody can get you a job, they can open a door, and then it's totally up to you to make sure that opportunity turns into something. So please take advantage of any connections you have. That's the way business is done. You'll really be missing out on a tremendously important an opportunity if you don't take advantage of those things.
5: In our office, we have a job that requires a certain technical skill, and we start by, to find people for it by calling up people we knew and said, do you know anybody mm-hmm. who's looking for work? Who knows how to do X?
6: I had a recruiter you know. who told me he always has two stacks on his desk. He has a st- humongous You know, mile-high stack of resumes that come in off the web, and he has a little stack of resumes that come from his personal connections. And which one do you think he turns to Mm -hmm. more? It's the one from people he knows.
4: Now, now, Lindsay, you wrote in um, an article that every industry is hiring less except the government. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I have some government job prospects, and I'm wondering if I take a government job straight out of college, is that going to make it harder for me to move into industry later?
6: I can't imagine I wrote that. Did I really?
4: I, I think so.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of several industries, but healthcare, accounting, energy, there's several other fields, so I would never want to say that it's only government. Okay. Um, I think you can start anywhere. Mm. And I think the advantage of starting in government and touching on politics is you cannot get more bureaucratic. You cannot get more political than working in the government. And that experience of working in a, a you know the biggest employer, you know, the, the most enormous organization is something that you can translate into skills that will work in the private sector. But it's absolutely up to you to figure out how you're going to use that experience to help you on to the next step. So um, specifically, what accomplishments will you have made in government that you think would be interesting and uh, valuable to people in the private sector? Mm -hmm. Make sure you continue to network with people outside of the government so that you don't seem like somebody who's just totally focused on his government job. So it's in your hands wherever you start to really proactively think about where you want to be in your next move. But it's incredibly common to move in and out of the private and social sectors from one to the other, so I, I would not be concerned as long as you make sure that you don't get too narrowly focused.
2: Okay. Um, I was reminded by that. I'm, um, I'm actually a sophomore, and I'm doing an internship this summer in Germany, and I was wondering what is the situation in international
6: jobs? Is it, is it better? Is it worse? Um, and ha- can you use your connections from international jobs here? Absolutely. You can use any connections anywhere. And I think um, we're touching here and now on social networking and using the web for this. You know, I think having uh, LinkedIn.com, which is sort of the professional version of Facebook, using Facebook, maybe blogging about your experience in Germany professionally, one of the best ways to have these international connections work for you is to make sure that you, um, in, you sort of import those connections between the United States and wherever you are. When it comes to the economy, it's, it's very, very difficult everywhere. I actually do a lot of work with Australia and their hiring and the major challenge that you might face is why would they hire someone from another country who's planning to leave rather than somebody who's local and is committed to being in that country and staying in that job? So if you're interested, let's say you decide to live in Germany for several years, you're going to have to explain why you would be a better candidate than somebody local, how committed you are, how much you love the culture, and how your perspective as an American makes you more valuable than somebody there. You also want to look into the visa issues of whether you can work in another country. Mm -hmm. A a lot of uh, foreign students in the United States are having a lot of problems right now because we're not giving as many visas to foreign workers to work here. So there are a lot of issues. I lived in Australia for three years so I understand um, how exciting it is to work overseas and it's incredibly valuable experience. It just takes a little extra legwork on your part.
2: Emily? Hi. So we've talked a lot about how um, it's not really necessarily that important what you do the next couple of years and it's um, more just getting out there and getting a job but continuing to network on the side which really resonates with me because even though I'm coming from a technical background, I think my long-term interests lie more on, on the social side. But mm-hmm. my question is, how do you continue networking once you are a young professional, especially if what you're doing has little to do with what you're really interested in? I know how to network here because I have the Stanford network, and I understand how to contact alumni and tap into my peers. But when I'm you know, only seeing people at work and then going home, I don't really know how to go about pushing my other interests.
6: Well, first of all, you don't have to go right home after work, so I would definitely encourage you to attend different events. I think volunteering is a fantastic way to stay involved. A lot of people volunteer, and if you're volunteering in an organization you really believe in, you're going to connect with other people who enjoy doing that kind of work. Uh, religious organizations are terrific for networking, and this is ways to, to make professional contacts, but also to make friends, which is very different after college. I think your Stanford alumni networks would be fantastic opportunities to network outside of school, staying involved with that um, network of people. I also think, you know, personal friends, making friends, and talking about your careers once you're in the workforce, that really is a form of professional networking. People join soccer teams. They take yoga classes. Anything you're naturally interested in is a good way to meet people. And I'll add again, if Stanford has an alumni network online or if you're networking through Facebook and LinkedIn, joining groups, a lot of those have meetups and in-person events so you can use your web connection to meet people in whatever city you end up in but I will say to your point it can be challenging if you're very busy at work so you really have to schedule on your calendar and commit to spending time networking, and if it means bringing a friend to make sure you do it, then that's one strategy that you can use. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be fun, but you have to make time for it. You can't just assume that you'll, you know, kind of stumble across it. You have to be proactive.
0: Lindsay, um, do you have any parting words? We've run out of time, but do you have any parting words for the panel as they start to make this transition?
6: I do. I think that right now is very hard, and I encourage you to get through it with your optimism and to just reach farther and work harder than you have before. You know, you've been on a a very specific path going to college and taking classes. This is going to take a little bit of extra work, but the more work that you do, I think the rewards will be tremendous, and I, I love your energy, and I hope that I can be a resource to all of you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you.
6: Good luck. (laughs)
0: Thanks. I think everyone's going to need it. (laughs) That was Lindsay Pollack, who specializes in career advice for young professionals. Her book, Getting From College to Career, is available online and at your local bookstores. Uh, For more information about Lindsay, go to our website, gettingfromcollegetocareer.com. We'll be right back. If you're just joining us, our topic is finding a job. I'm Susan Morris, and with me in the studio is our mother, Mary. Hello. And five Stanford students. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Becca. I'm Margo.
1: I'm Nick. And I'm Lauren
0: lot of kids today. Oh, sorry. A lot of students today. Well, during the last segment, our guest was Lindsay Pollack, author of Getting From College to Career, 90 Things to Do Before You Join the Real World. Panel, I'm interested in hearing your reactions to Lindsay's suggestions and her approach to finding a job. Did it did it seem practical and applicable to you? Who wants to go first?
2: I think it was reassuring what she had to say because I think I'm very much in a position where my, uh, what's going to... My best odds of getting a job, I think, coming out are technical, but they're not really my long-term interests, and that was something I've been struggling with a lot this year. So I was happy to hear her make suggestions about how to just get a job, go for it, and then, you know, I have a long life ahead of me. I can figure it out after that.
0: You know, my daughter had no intention of going into computer science, but she's a gifted math person, and um, that's where she could get a job after she graduated, and so that's what she does. But but, in social networking, so she 's making you know doing computer science, but in an area that 's more compatible with mm-hmm. her. Anyone else have any reaction to uh what she said now lauren you 're interested in maybe getting into government work or politics.
1: Right, and I think my primary fear, and obviously, I think the, the advice that she offers was very good, but my primary fear is that you know, no matter what you do, no matter how many you know people you hustle to get a job, like the, the ultimate fear is that it's that you know they're going to say, you know, I like you, you're you're the right kind of you're the right kind of person, but there's just nothing, yeah. and that that like there is nothing, dead end brick wall is 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 the ultimate fear, and and no matter how good you are about pushing this here and pushing that there. I mean, if you run into that brick wall, it seems like you're just going to get splattered.
5: Yeah, well, well, what happens, though, in in, in the world is that, that when, when a job opens up, people say, now, who was that guy that we could have hired if we'd mm-hmm. had an opening that we really liked and people will dig? You know, my boss, the head of uh, you know, have a big department at Stanford, was turned down at Stanford twice before she even got a job here, let alone the position she has now. And they they called her back when somebody else quit. She was second or third choice, you know, and then they, of course, when they got her in, they found how wonderful she was, and she got promoted quickly.
0: One of the things that uh, counselors advise is during, let's say you don't get a job, that you contact them and say, how could I have been a stronger candidate? So you learn something from yeah, the right. fact that you. So you're moving forward always. I, I think from what I'm reading is that it may take a long time before you find a job that you really like. And also, I think it's sort of like uh,
5: actors. You know, the, it, it, don't take it personally. You know, they're really looking for a six foot tall, you know, African American person to play this role, and you don't happen to be that person. Well, they may not hire you for this job because they want someone who has this particular talent that you just simply don't have. But, so you're not the right fit they're not going to cast you in that role but that, that's not your that's not because you're bad or because you're you know inadequate in some way or they don't like you it's just that you don't quite fit
2: yeah I think I, I've more and more started to see it that way I kind of feel like it's a relationship like you, sometimes your relationship doesn't work out because um You just aren't right for each other. But um, it's easy to take it personally when someone says this job isn't for you. But honestly, if they didn't take me for the job, I probably wouldn't have been that happy had they given me the job either.
3: My mom. That was advice she gave to me when I was worried about job searching. She said the worst thing that can happen is that you get a job that you are not qualified for. She talked about she got a job as a secretary just because she has an English accent. Mm-hmm. So they wanted her to pick up the phone, and um, uh-huh. so the first day she gets there, she can't do anything, and <laughs> she's sending out e- or she's sending out letters, spelling words wrong everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So she's reassured me that if I don't get the job, I probably want a different one anyway.
0: <laughs> what about Mary, do you think it's important that when you walk in or you spend an internship at some place that you you have a good feeling or is that you know you sort of connect right away or uh, I think in this job economy, maybe people are going to say it doesn't matter if I don't really connect up with these people. I've got to get a job. But that's
5: right. That's right. I mean, the reality of the situation is, it, it, but like Lauren said earlier, you're not going to walk into a place and everyone go hi and be really happy to see you and stop working and chat with you and all this stuff and bring you into their witty repartee. You know, it's not, <laughs> that's not the experience you're going to have, and so you can't really. It's, it's hard to tell what first impressions. You know. If they're ad- adequate. If they're adequate.
2: But at this, oh, I guess my fear would be um, with the whole, like, take any job you can is that it would be kind of a the office situation where you just, you're stuck in this job and it's not what you wanted to do, but you just don't have the, you know, you have too much inertia
5: <laughs> to leave. Well, I think you're going to be stuck in jobs in your life sometime. I mean, if you have responsibilities and if you have families right. to support, there right. might be a period of your life where you really are stuck someplace in a way. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to be stuck until you're 65 years old in that job, well,
1: it probably think, won't exist that long I, anyway. Yeah, I think I think to our generation, that's one of the most terrifying things that we can think of. I, I mean, I know there's always like,
2: personal gratification. I always do what I want. No,
4: yeah, I yeah. Do. <laughs> but you know, this is Silicon Valley. You can sort of do what you want. Like, I don't know. I've been taking a lot of these kind of entrepreneurial classes lately, and there's funding all over the place. If you've got an idea, you can make a living doing it. Maybe. You know. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Maybe, yeah. That's it. It depends on what and your responsibilities are. When you're young, are, right? you know, this
4: is the time to fail.
5: If, if you only, if sure. you just want to eat ramen and you know, hang out, you know, you don't have, have to earn a lot of money and you can move a lot and so on. But the, later the, on, that won't be possible.
0: The, the thing that I'm hearing that I just don't think is realistic that this job has got to fulfill you in no. a lot of different ways. Jobs don't do that for the most part. Jobs mm-hmm. pay your bills, and you have to make a life for yourself afterwards. Right. You I, to, I, that's I right. think
2: that's what we forget. I think we're such Achievement oriented people that we forget that it, our job is not our life. And, you know, when worse comes to worse, if it's not a job I love, I have to make sure that life outside of it is something it, And as to what Nick said about, yeah, we're in Silicon Valley and there's a lot of money, but I think there's a fear right now that if I take a risk, where is my safety net? It's not like 2000 when if I do a startup and it fails, there's another dot com that's just, or before the bus, back up a couple of years, you know, somebody's going to hire me. Right now, it's, if I take First of all, who's going to fund my risk? And second of all, if I fail, I'm left with not very much there. So I think there is this feeling of just take what I can get that's safe and good. But
3: I don't think that's necessarily the best approach. I understand that people are worried about not having jobs, but at the same time, like you say you have a life outside your job, your first job, you're probably going to be most of your life is going to be your job. Most of your time is going to be committed to that. Um, I definitely am. My dad actually gave me advice that the worst thing I could do is to take the first job that comes along just because it's there and that just because something's safe isn't necessarily it's a good option. That maybe it's better to have the fear of graduating having no job having that month unemployed freaking out eating ramen every night and that gives you the energy to actually go out and have like go
5: for exactly what you want see i am I'm, I'm frightened for her father you know <laughs> because you know, you she's gonna you know, be the... 30 years old sitting in their house <laughs> going you know i haven't found that that i just didn't but like I'm not, those jobs. i'm not looking for the perfect job but i just don't think <laughs> if you know if
3: i find a job you know i you know telemarketing or if i find if i find a job working in an office that has nothing to do with any of my interests then how is it that my next job how am i i'm still not going to have the experience to relate to what i
2: really want to do but you right. can job hunt while you have absolutely. a job Absolutely, that's the thing like yeah, i can absolutely. be employed and have an income while continuing and deciding to leave in two months and i don't disagree with you that you should take something you're interested in i would love to have something i'm interested in but that one month like what happens if it's two or three months after you graduate what happens if it's six or eight months and, after you, and graduate? you turn down a job offer i mean and At a certain point, you have to say, I just need to get a job. And not everyone everyone has varying degrees of safety nets that they can fall back on. Right. I
3: mean, so maybe you could do something. I know some friends who have worked in restaurants while they've interned somewhere that they actually want to go to. I guess I'm just saying that you shouldn't pick a job just because... It's something that feels safe, that definitely like choose, you know, working in a restaurant isn't going to give you job skills. But if you just pick this job that's a full time job is going to be giving you job skills towards a path that you don't want to go down, then I just think it's going to continue to be
0: harder to get onto the path well, you actually life, want to be. Life on. is long, number one, okay. so if you waste a year or two, it, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I hate to be so casual about a year or two, but trust me, they. <laughs> I can't those. even remember whole uh, decades. You know, they so <laughs> right. gone, I don't even remember. But my feeling about this economy is it is so bad that if you get a non waitress, non clerk job offer, take it.
2: Right. So I'll I'll spend this personally. For me, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was like, I'm not going to engineer next year. I do not want to do it. This is what I'm trying to do. It doesn't make me happy. I'm going to find something like some nonprofit work. I'm going to do something I love. Then my dad got laid off. My little sister's going to college in a year. And where does that leave me? It leaves me in a position where actually it's not that important for me to find myself right now. I mean, it is important to me in -hmm. the long run to find myself. But at this point, I can't go home and live at home for two or three years, you know? And at that point, okay, really? Am I really really going to complain about if I can snag an engineering job that I'm mildly interested in will pay me close to six digits, you know, six digits a year. I, I should <laughs> not be in a position where I'm complaining about that. And I wish I had that offer right now, but I'm just saying it definitely put things into perspective. It was like, yeah. you know, stop complaining, beef up your resume and go chase down some engineering jobs.
0: <laughs> I think you, I'm right in your corner. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I weren't, but you know, finding yourself yeah. is a um, Gosh, I didn't find myself for a very long time. Have you time. found
5: yourself, Susan? <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you still looking? I well, know. I, you know, it depends. <laughs> you might get a job even in the field
5: you want, but I'm—I'm. I'm, this is the hard truth. You're the new kid. They're going to give you the dirty work to do, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be really a, a... We had lots of young people have the... It, you want me to alphabetize these? What are you talking about? I'm a Stanford <laughs> graduate. You know, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> don't you know? Uh, I don't what, know how to alphabetize. But don't you know what I know how to do? <laughs> I, I speak four languages, and you want me to put these things in this box? I mean, it's going to be... A, it's a, going to work is a real blow because you have to earn your... Creds, you know, you—they oh, yeah. they don't care that you went to Stanford. <laughs> they want to see can you do this? What they want
0: you to do. So That's you got to be the uh,
1: the slumdog millionaire for a while. There. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. You went from the from the. I, you know,
0: in in high school I always got, uh, or in college I always got like the the Monday off after Easter or the Friday before, and then yeah. there I am at work, and I'm going, well, when do we get? You know, when do we have to come back to work? What do you mean when do you have to come back to work? <laughs> I. It was hard. It was very and he, very. He said you won't have time to
5: do anything. Most jobs it 'll be interesting because when you go to work, you actually have weekends off, <laughs> i mean as opposed to being a student you and you really lots of people say they have more time on their hands and yeah. you're they go home not at night all nighters yeah that 's right yeah. <laughs> you go home and you actually have a lot of time that you didn 't really realize you were spending uh, being a student be yeah, open, open
1: to you Plus, it so and you nice bring home money. some
0: money <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like
1: like you have a no income but like yeah. yeah when i went to having like a really modestly paying job this summer it was so nice and just to like go out and say hey like i have like no dependents i'm not married i have all this money i don't know what to do with it <laughs> like
0: i know get off work at the latest at 8 30 uh, all these hours to kill
1: oh it's amazing it's good. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so you'll you might decide if you work for a brief one mo- that I don't want to go to graduate school. (laughs) Who knows knows what it's it's going to be like? Well, this is What Would Your Mother Say? A candid look at campus life, a discussion between moms and Stanford students. If you'd like to learn more about the show, go to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.com. And our email address is mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. We're going to take a short break now. After we come back, our topic is the impact of music and videos on our behavior. Our phone number is 650 723 9010. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Where Moms and Stanford Students Take a Candid Look at Student Life. Our topic, videos and music, their impact on our behavior. Well, a recent study from the University of Pittsburgh says that teenagers who regularly listen to music with explicit and aggressive sexual phrases are twice as likely to be having sex. The songs that fall into this category describe sex as a physical rather than loving act. Now, the researchers are quick to point out that just because the kids are watching this and listening to this music doesn't mean that they are having more sex. But there are, you know, there's more evidence that 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 is, in fact, the case, that it's influencing the fact that they're turning on or they're being influenced by this. So how much of I'm going to ask the students first. I'm going to ask Mary over here. Mary, I love Mary's expression. Mary thinks that this is not her element here. But how much of an impact do you think movies and videos and music have had on your conception of sex?
3: Well, I, I think the important thing to distinguish between is is that we're saying violence in movies, so violent sex, right? Explicit sex lyrics. I think there's a difference between a sex scene in a movie and a rape scene. Or even, like, my problem is definitely the violent part. I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, songs talk about sex. I don't think there's anything wrong with showing sex in movies. Um, And what bothers me is definitely the combination of violence, violent language or violent acts
0: with sexual um, well, that's these. interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know that anyone at the table would agree. with I mean, would I think everyone would agree with you that sex and and violence are you know booky, But there's just a lot of explicit sex on in some of this, and I think it. I don't know. I'm being uh, prudish, but I think after a while, it can kind of dehumanize the experience. Emily. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. One, I went to... Uh, Jackson Katz came to Stanford to speak mm-hmm.
2: uh, last week, two weeks ago, and he talked a lot about men and masculinity yeah, and who is the me? media. He's a feminist, a, a white male feminist, speaker, motivator, presenter, writer, um, and it was very interesting. And um, But he made the point that the important thing about media is not that kids can't distinguish it from real life, it's that seeing these images and hearing these things desensitizes you to... Uh, the shocking things that they're showing. On the other hand, though, um, I mean, I was a teenager not that long ago. Um, for me, I think what's most important is the messages that you're getting from your parents. I think that for for me, you can't stop that media from happening, or you can, but it's a different process. But what you can affect in your vicinity is what you're communicating to kids. So even if they see it on TV, to understand that that's not real life
0: and that's not how you really act, and that. Sex is more than just yeah. well, Emily, as you say that though, I think you 're assuming that teenagers are all in communication with their parents, um, you know some parents are not engaged enough to bother to be a role model, and others uh, other parents can 't get their kids to listen to them so
2: right i don 't know what the answer is to that is, but I do know that among
0: my peers, the ones who
2: acted out the most when we were younger, like now that we are older can trace that back to. My, so my a good friend of mine lost her virginity when she was 14 years old, and na- at the time, I mean, we kind of knew it was weird, but no one really knew what to say about it, and now she can directly say, I mean, it was, her mom always told her she was overweight and that she wasn't pretty and she wasn't good enough, and she spent a long time being insecure, and I think that hugely fed into that, more so than watching MTV
0: Oh, that's interesting. Don't Lauren, they, do you
1: what, agree with that? I don't know. I think I, I disagree with the, the study you cited at the beginning. I don't know if you can correlate those things. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg problem, yes, you know. Yes, I agree. Are, are these kids, you know, acting out because they're listening to the music, or are they having these things in their life and saying, oh, this music expresses how I feel, yes, maybe I, I'll listen yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. You know and I mean? It's uh, I mean, I guess it does come down to a certain point of how how you would envision the, the normative world, you know, how you think other people are doing things, and a lot of times, especially when people are isolated, they they don't really have conversations with people like, how is your sex life? What's normal? And so they, I mean, they can go to these these movies and and, and either see their own reflection or their own experience reflected back at them. Or, uh, or kind of have this new idea of, of what, it, what they should be doing.
0: Well, do you think that um, what you see in movies and music have had an impact on your conception of love? You know, in movies there's this, uh, you know, the ideal story, you meet your Prince Charming, and then you have a little, dis- you break up, you know, briefly, and then you get back together again, you live happily ever after. I mean, this is love, right? Hollywood style. You know, th-
5: this is the problem I'm having being an old lady now, because... When I go to movies where there's romance, I'm sitting there shouting at the screen, don't go for that guy, he hasn't even got a job you know and the other people are all carried away, you know, and I say, look at this guy, you see, you know, he lives near his mother. you got to get somebody else, you know I, I can't I can't Suspend my disbelief for this romance. Now, why, are just, you you know, like, I, why
0: are you like that, though? I mean, and it does suck you up. You say, Oh, isn't that sweet? I if only that were Mary to ha- doesn't say that. Well, now, do you all say that, though? Do you say, Oh, boy, I want my husband to look like, you know, whomever, Hugh Jackson? <laughs> Uh, any, (laughs) I think that, uh, despite being able
2: to appreciate romantic comedies, I think when you start having your own romantic relationships, you quickly realize that they're two very separate things. And I think you're very quickly disillusioned, um, and... It would be very hard and very painful to try and superimpose the movie image upon your own life. I think.
0: Oh, has anyone ever had that happen inadvertently? Though, I mean, when you're the first blush of love, you—I mean, the guy's pretty perfect. Right, yes. right? The girl's pretty perfect. <laughs> Come on. I
2: think you, you always know when you're settling, even if you're not admitting it to yourself at the time, <laughs> oh, if you're shit. doing it just because.
1: <laughs> well sometimes, sometimes when you're overachieving, you're like, yeah, all right, like, just like the movies, right? <laughs> no, but then, like, I think, yeah, I mean, this is like, this isn't just romantic comedy, so it's like, it seems like most American movies have this central like love plot, you know, that, that follows the same very kind of predictable trajectory where, you know, there's this this concept of true love and, and it you know works out in the end, and everyone 's happy and yeah i think I think emily 's right that that you know people you know it 's like this thing is accepted in movies, but in real life you it's know that of...
5: that old show now it's a very old show sex in the city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really had trouble watching that show <laughs> <laughs>
1: like,
5: all four of those women are completely whacked out, you know and i, I they, they they're because they're in that premise of that show is that they 're trying to find the perfect person right mm-hmm. and they years and years go by, and they're still' and they don 't no, you no, know
1: no, that <laughs> might be a more realistic, not in super a way. realistic. Yeah, don't get me right. wrong, but might, might yeah, be more realistic yeah. than your uh, than your Casablanca in this thing right, right. and
5: Seinfeld. You know, every bad time they, any of the characters.
1: I, I think Seinfeld is great because it's it's super realistic. Right. You, know, you find these weird things that are wrong with everybody. I mean, and,
5: exactly. He don't like it. she's perfect, but your nose is too long or something, you know. And then they, they yeah. fall apart. They can't handle it.
1: You know. Yeah, but so. I think that's how a lot of times it really goes with people. And I think we're all <laughs> shallow and unromantic, and, <laughs> and like they just expose that. You know. no.
0: I used to walk out of movies just totally enraptured by this possibility of this great love and being swept off my feet What, what recent well, that's movie. That's
1: why, that's why people go though. It's a, it's escapism, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. you yeah. don't have central...
2: to work hard on a movie relationship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So in other words, all right, what do you think about um, the availability or easy access to pornography? How do you feel that that is impacting the way men are viewing women these days?
5: Are, I, you, are you assuming that back in the day when we were young, men did not have pornography? Yeah. Well, I, Mary, Mary I think pornography here? has
0: been around, what, since the beginning of man. But it's so accessible now. You turn on your computer. You used to have to go down to the local store to buy... We got more exercise, but other than that, it's <laughs> <I> not <wasn't laughs> the same thing.
2: Well... But you have videos a click away. You have as many right. videos as you want that's a click true. away. Yeah, you, can ex- you can explore any fetish you want just yeah, but within this,
3: minutes. At, yeah, the the issue is, it's kind of like the Pandora's box, right? So, this thing is all opened up and everyone can access pornography so easily, but you can also access so much information.
1: I think I saw I saw a statistic recently it said something like 70% of the internet is dedicated to uh to pornography. I mean it's, it's a huge <laughs> industry. It's I, unbelievable.
2: It's okay. funny I posted this hypothetical to my friend yesterday. If you saw your 9-year-old kid watching porn, what would you guys do Oh, i am watching t- or like looking it up <laughs> on the internet. I thought it was in, at what age would it not would you not be bothered by? it? I think you always need a conversation <laughs> no. With him, but no age. I, I don't know no. as a mother I can
0: say Any age, but listen. We sent out our roving reporter today to find out about porn on Stanford's campus. Oh, he was able to find some. (laughs) And we have this.
5: Hi, I'm a junior at Stanford. So this happened a couple years ago. I was at a party with some friends, and somehow I ended up in a room with uh, some guys that I didn't really know. And so we all just started talking. When all of a sudden, one of the guys he tells us that he had something to show us online. So he goes onto this website, and it actually turns out to be a video clip of some pretty sexually explicit content. And, I mean, it's porn, and my jaw just kind of dropped, and I was really shocked when he showed it to us. But the other guys in the room, they seemed to just get a kick out of it, and they were laughing and making some pretty lewd comments about the video, and so I was just like, ha, 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 and that's when I decided to leave the room.
0: Todd LaGuardia, our roving reporter, thank you so much for getting that. All right, Lauren and Nick, have you had that experience?
4: He sounds pretty sheltered. Yeah, he does. I don't I know. Mean, I mean...
0: What do you mean?
4: I mean, I've definitely <laughs> been, like, in co-ed groups of, like, upwards of 10 watching Pirates XXX. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah, like, it's I like, it's like I was backyard. just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, are it's you, a college thing. Are yeah.
0: you kidding that you are in mixed company? Yeah. I've and done you're it. you're sitting there... Pizza and you, porn. I've done it. Yeah, yeah.
4: Well,
3: I watched uh, porn at the Women's Center because it was feminist porn. I think yeah. there's, there's a certain amount of sexual education that oh, wow. there is no talk about sex. You don't talk about sex with your parents as a taboo subject. And while I don't think porn should be the educator, yeah. people being able to actually see what sex looks like is maybe better than having all of... I don't know. I mean, it's the, people's well, only access, right? Well, there's
0: porn versus Porn. I mean, they're they're, they're <laughs> these educational videos. Have you ever seen those advertised? But yeah. that's not seeing sex like really happen. I do think it's about Well, no, no, you 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 do. It's sort of like a lesson. You know, <laughs> but,
2: huh. but is it erotic though? I mean, it's not like his penis goes
0: here. Yeah. Everyone knows that, but, <laughs> but I, how I, does it really go? Well, I'll be perfectly honest. I've seen some porn movies and they are not erotic. Maybe the guy it's thinks true. they are. I it's think true. they're like a gynecologist. Yeah, my, my, pro-
5: my problem with them is that they're so boring. Yes. Yeah, so I, here we go again. Up. Let's fast forward through this because I've seen it four times in the last half hour.
1: <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Anything? anybody going to say something or do something else? you know it's like exactly <laughs> well
1: like um, but the guy never got his pizza <laughs> you know, like, exactly. they never fixed that exactly. woman's tv exactly. what a rip off
0: exactly <laughs> oh we the classic scenario you know <laughs> uh, the plumber <laughs> the toilet's overflowing <laughs> but first <laughs> well we're going to take a short break <laughs> on that note and when we come back the panel is going to answer emails from our listeners and from students this is what would your mother say we'll be right back Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University. This is What Would Your Mother Say? where moms and Stanford students take a candid look at student life. We're taking a look right now at emails that students and listeners have sent us. I'm Susan Morris, and Mary is our mom this week. Yes, hello. Hi, and on the other side of the table are five Stanford students. Emily, Becca, Margo,
1: Nick, and Lauren.
0: Great. Okay, if you'd like to join the conversation in the next couple of minutes, give us a call at 650-723-9010. That number, 650-723-9010. You can also send an email to mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. All right. First email. I've been dating this guy for about a month now, and I'm having a great time with him. He's super smart, and we have a lot of common interests. The one thing that's been starting to bother me is that he just doesn't really ask me any questions about myself or my life. (laughs) When I volunteer stories and information, he always listens, and he remembers what I tell him, but he never seeks them out. It sometimes makes me think that he's not that interested in who I am and is just interested in the things that we do together. Should I be concerned? (laughs) Should I be concerned? Is there an easy fix for this? I think Emily is suggesting that there is an easy fix for this. But let's get back, though, to the main question of what do you do? And maybe there are girls out there, too, who do it with you guys. I mean, they just... you know they they tell you their story and their story's interesting, but come on now it's my turn. Ever had that happen?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no, all the time. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think I mean if you're trying to get someone to open up to you, I think one of the good things is to to start asking them. You know, if you if you want to be asked about yourself, you gotta you gotta you gotta kind of start the ball off in their court. You know, kind of hit it back because yeah. I, they're, like as 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 thick as maybe some guys are, they have this sense of reciprocity. Usually they're like, okay, well, she asked me where I was from. I should probably ask her where she was from. I've me met out.
2: guys who
0: haven't. I have <laughs> met, I've sat next a to a lot of guys, guys right. at dinners, and it's never occurred to them yeah. that they should ask I was, was going to say she's lucky to find a man who listens to
5: her and remembers what she says. Yeah. And what else does she want?
1: <laughs> she's been watching too many movies. Yeah, exactly
0: you know, and guys, not it's, the... it's a real turn-on if a guy asks a question. That's probably the most erotic <laughs> thing that he could do, right? Oh, oh God. Oh, Any other reaction? Becca, have you ever had a guy who's never said anything to you about... Now, um, what sh- he knows your name, but he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't say where do you live or what's your major. Uh, hard
2: to know. I mean, I feel like when you're meeting people, they're they're making an effort to kind of be charming and and you know seem interested. So I don't. I I've never gotten past that point with someone who was really not interested.
0: You know, I well, mean, it's
4: the thing to do. You know, you don't ask someone, "Oh, what's your major? Where are you from?" Right when you meet them. But if this is like the girl's boyfriend, then yeah, yeah. she needs to just like you interested. know,
0: what does she say? Crack the whip. Maybe he's just not a curious person. (laughs) Well, yeah. I (laughs) I guess you have to decide if you want to hang out with someone who's not curious, then. (laughs) I... I don't. I'm know. Just curious
5: about you. I'm mean, about people. Well, you would be very curious about automobile engines or you know how moss algae grows. Maybe they're just having fun. Maybe yeah.
2: dating for a month is very vague. <laughs> maybe they are just having. Maybe it is just the activities that he likes, and he doesn't really don't. like her that much as a person. Well, I gotta, think there uh, might
0: be something else involved with it. Well, we're going to go to Eric on the line. Hi, Eric. Are you there? Yeah, I am. Hi. What's your question?
7: Oh, I just had a comment about the question. Okay. So uh, I have to agree. I think half the battle is somebody who listens and actually remembers what you said. So that's that's certainly a good start.
0: (laughs) You you mean you don't think that this young woman should expect more than that?
7: That Well. I know, like, I think there are plenty of cases where people are forgetful if you've had a long day or it just doesn't occur to you, like the question's been asked, and if you get into the middle of hearing the story or you've just told the story, it's, it's easy enough, I think, for people to forget to ask questions. I mean, certainly it's odd if he never, ever asks any questions, but, but I think, you know, it may be one of those things to watch watch what the guy's like with other people. Mm-hmm. Like, if she sees him asking a bunch of questions of somebody else, that's, that would be kind of more of like a clue. Is this just his personality where it just doesn't occur to him to ask questions and it's something he might need to work on or, you know, it's just part of who he is or if he's really disinterested because gosh, every time we're hanging out with other people that are new, he's got all kinds of questions or, or maybe he just doesn't have a, you know, it depends on his interest set. If, if a lot of her experiences are not really, you know, similar to his, his experiences and he might not have questions because it's not like a familiar subject to him so
0: okay well eric that's a good point i like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay well thank you we'll make some comments about it off the air thanks for calling okay guys i would say that I, I the guy never asks any questions though i mean if he's i don't know and who wants to go out with someone who's not curious about you i mean i think that there's something that a lot of,
3: not to be sexist, but a lot of women do is overanalyze the situation. I agree. And it seems like she's focusing so much on who asked who what questions and did he ask (laughs) me a question? Is he he interested? Like, she should just feel, if she feels like he's interested in her, if they have fun together, if she likes spending time with him, what's the problem? Maybe you should stop worrying so much and just let yourself go and let yourself have fun.
2: And if it's a deal breaker, then... Break the deal. Right. If you're not enjoying
0: the
5: relationship, then...
0: Then then you kick it and off. I have, yeah.
5: a, I have a friend who has a husband who's an extremely quiet man. You know, he hardly... But... He's a very pleasant man. They've had a happy life together. <laughs> you know, he, d- he we sit around eight people. He hardly says anything, but he's interested in the conversation. He'll nod and listen. He doesn't jump in with lots of "What do you mean by that?" And, Tell me all about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just inset- not who, who he is. You know.
1: One thing this this woman could do maybe to uh, to incentivize him knowing something. I've had I've had girls do this where they're like, "Okay, but do you know like you know so like what, what's my middle name?" And if you don't know, they you're really <laughs> <laughs> angry. You're like, what color are my eyes? And you're like, uh, and they're like, they're so pissed. And so he thinks like. Oh, man, I don't want her to get angry, so I better start learning stuff about her. <laughs> like, I hate to I did that's how a lot of guys learn stuff.
3: Like, ask her her eye color? <laughs> yeah,
1: like, you know, they'll start paying more attention. They get more into it. They're like, oh, i got to avoid the, the hissy fit. That's a very (laughs) prime motivator I can
0: imagine it would be well here's another email I've been dating a guy at another school for about two months now I think we're super compatible and things are really great but we're not Facebook friends I've
6: thought
0: thought about friending him but wonder if perhaps he hasn't done so for a reason like he doesn't want me to see his pictures or something I don't want to ask him about it because I think it will put him on the spot do do you ever have seen him? No. <laughs> no, no,
4: she's seen them, but they're not. But not on the Internet. But uh, not on the
0: Internet. So what do you all yeah. recommend? Do you think this well, is another case of a woman hyperventilating over something that's not that important? Well, she hasn't friended him either. I mean, neither of yeah. them okay. have. Yeah. Make he a probably, joke about it.
4: Maybe he's got no. a life. No.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I, my question is, after you've made friends with someone, how do you unfriend them? I mean, is it easy to do? Yeah. My, my, yeah. my question is, how is Job friend a like verb?
5: I don't understand. <laughs> 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 i to oh,
0: friend you. <laughs> oh, I tried to get some of my friends to sign up, because I don't have that many friends. Mm-hmm. And they're going, what are you doing Someone this for? Someone asked me to Twitter them. I said,
1: look. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I screened my calls
1: from now on. What about the, yeah. the, the, uh, all like the like generations that. found out about Twitter, and yeah, it's yeah, been like uh, a yeah. oh,
0: We don't understand it. Okay, last, last email. My daughter has told a friend of hers, Uh, has told me that a friend of hers has met this guy at a bar. They had a great time and they made out. Afterwards, no calls, no emails. The next time the girl went to the bar, the same guy happened to be there and they made out again. (laughs) Now it happens every time they're at the bar at the same time. But no phone calls, no attempt to meet anywhere else. Now, I think there's something wrong with this picture. What does your panel think? It's none of your business. <laughs> 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 sounds like a nice setup.
4: We
3: had yeah, not? I we think have, it sounds great. We only have two minutes. You mean so you mean she's making it too easy for him. Sounds good. I mean she's she's basically saying that I will go to this bar. You don't have to do anything, and I will make out with you every time. It's yeah. perfect for him. He has a makeup buddy at well, the bar. Yeah. But so it, does so, she, though. Right, but should, it could be the
7: opposite yeah, way, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. She's or
3: into if it. she likes it, go for it. <laughs> like yeah. if well, she, she likes taking take it back to your apartment.
0: But it's like don't you you're not even asking for a phone call or if she doesn't want the phone call, then they got a great setup it's the friend who wrote the email right it's the a mom it's the mom, mom. It's a the mom, of mom. Who's saying there's yeah. something wrong with now this the mom, picture
5: hey how did the mom find out and p tell the mom to butt out okay
0: <laughs> no no the mom's just asking the panel listen we got it we've got to close i'm really sorry that moms were out there for you okay well coming up the stanford storytelling project at six o'clock and our time has run out and i have to say goodbye to everybody mary thank you yes and our five students emily becca uh <sighs> Margot. Margo, a new <laughs> member to our panel, and Lauren uh, and, and, th- N- and Nick. <laughs> <hiding laughs> uh oh. A thank you to our listeners for your emails. Keep them coming. Our address is mothers at KZSU.stanford.edu. For the record, the opinions you hear on what would your mother say don't represent those of KZSU or Stanford University. A thank you to our associate producer, Sarah Buer, our roving reporter, Todd LaGuardia, and our engineer Jack Wong. A special thank you to our underwriter, Wendy. Schmidt. That's it for tonight. You've been listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Thanks for joining us. See you next week, same time, same station. I'm Susan Morris, and remember, call your mom.